0: Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by His Spirit, will use His Word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemernoxville.org. We also wanna give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemernoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much. And here is this week's sermon. Well, if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Luke chapter 23. We're going to be looking this morning at verses uh, 32 through 38. You can follow along with me in your own copy of the scriptures. There's a pew Bible in front of you if you want to use that. It's also provided for you uh, in the bulletin. If you'd like to follow along there, you can do that as well. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. Uh, my name's Sean Slate. I'm the pastor here, and we're so glad to have you with us this morning because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing uh, this morning. For instance, you could be over at the Tennessee Theater for the final showing of Rent, the Music Hall. or if you're into musicals, uh you could also be at the Children's Theater for Frozen Junior, the musicals all over the city, or uh, you could just still be celebrating that big win over our good friend Bruce Pearl and his Auburn Tigers, which is the purpose of the bow tie uh, this morning. I don't know if you've noticed the yellow and white uh, for Tennessee, because the Pantone 32 is a little bit more yellow than a real orange, like Clemson's. But anyway, you're not doing any of those things, you're here. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time Then worship Jesus and consider his claims upon your life and to think about the beauty of his kingdom. And so I do want to thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God or trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world uh, to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together and worship so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who love to go to musicales. We love to watch basketball, but we really love to read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University in Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire earth, right? That's who we are, a people who are trying to learn how to love God, who are trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that uh, this morning, we're going to take a break from our First Corinthians series uh, so that we can can take up our Lenten series, which uh, Lent begins next week, but we need seven weeks to look at the seven words from the cross, so we'll begin it this week. And I think that this is important because the cross is more than just a religious symbol that fits neatly into our coexist bumper stickers, and it is more than just sort of this metaphor about a selfless life or selfless love. But as Christians, what we believe is that the cross is Is the turning point in history. In fact, what we believe is that it is the event in history through which God is reconciling the world to himself and making peace by the blood of his cross. And so, what I want us to do for these next few weeks is I want us to listen to Jesus' dying words. I want us to listen to Jesus as he is on the cross to help us understand what he is doing. And what the cross is all about. So with that in mind, let's look together. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 38. We'll be considering these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left, There is also an an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. Uh, The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful uh, that you are God, not hidden nor silent, uh, but a God who loves to make yourself known. You've done this uh, in your word and by your Holy Spirit, and ultimately you've done this in the person and work of Jesus. And it's our prayer now that as we attend unto your word, that you and your kindness by your spirit would attend unto us, that we would see lovely things of you in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if any of you have heard of this old band. They're called the Avid Brothers. Uh, they, aren't, they aren't all brothers. I mean, two of them are brothers. The other two aren't, but it's not really the point. Uh, they sing this song called No Hard Feelings. And in this song, there's this really beautiful verse, and it goes like this. When the sun hangs low in the west, and the light in my chest won't be kept held at bay any longer. When the jealousy fades away, and it's ash and dust for cash and lust, and it's just hallelujah. And love in thought, love in the words, love in the songs they sing in the church, and no hard feelings. And it's this beautiful little verse because what they're singing about is they're, singing, they're thinking about uh, their life coming to an end. And as they reflect upon their life, they begin to realize that it is from dust that they have come and to dust that they will return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And they realize when they think about their life that they have given themselves, not to life, but they've given themselves to cash and to lust. And what they long to know is that the songs of the church are true. And what they long to know is that the love of God is real. And what they long is to know that between God and man, there are no hard feelings. This is really beautiful song about this longing for forgiveness and where it is we can find it. And Christianity tells us that forgiveness with God is found at the cross. Because at the cross, what we see is Jesus with outstretched arms, as if to gather the world to himself. And there from the cross, he looks down at humanity and all of our sin. And then he looks up at the Father and he prays, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As another musician sings, forgiveness, can you imagine? Right, straight out of Hamilton. Right, forgiveness. Can you imagine? Right, that 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 as Jesus dies at our hands, he forgives. And this is not just a forgiveness for his friends and his family, uh, but it is a forgiveness for his enemies, for those who are scoffing and mocking and just wanting him to die. Right, forgiveness. That's the point of the cross. And so, as we look at the cross this morning, I want us to join in Jesus' prayer. Father, forgive us. All right, Father, forgive us. Would you say that with me? Father, forgive us. Now, forgiveness is this beautiful thing that we love to think about, we love to talk about, we love to sing about, we love to watch movies about. Uh, we love the Bible because it talks about forgiveness. Uh, but I think C.S. Lewis was onto something in mere Christianity when he wrote. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until we have something to forgive, right? Until we have something to forgive. And isn't that true? Forgiveness is beautiful, but it is hard. And and the reason that forgiveness is hard is because someone actually did something wrong. Someone actually did something to hurt you. Maybe they abused you. Maybe they took advantage of you. Maybe they betrayed you. Maybe they lied to you or stole from you or cheated on you. Maybe they ruined you or they touched you or they ignored you. Or they abandoned you or they manipulated you. Go on and on and on, but you get the point. Right? Forgiveness is hard. And the reason forgiveness is hard is because the reality of forgiveness is this. Is that the person who was wronged is the person who must forgive. The person who is wrong is the person who must offer the forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is something that is purely a gift. Forgiveness is purely a grace. It is not something you can deserve. It's not something that you earn. It is only something that someone can give you. And it's something that we as humans often don't want to give because what we want to give is justice and vengeance. But we do not want to give ourselves to the pain of forgiveness. And I think that this is why the modern critique of the cross, which says, why couldn't God just forgive, is incredibly naive. Because the reason God couldn't just forgive is the same reason why you and I can't just forgive. Forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness costs you something. Many years ago, I woke up one morning and I was in need of some adventure in my life. And so I called up my friend, Bill Harley, and I said, Bill, let's go canoeing today on the Chautuga. And he said, that'd be great. Now, the problem was neither of us had a canoe. And so we had to call uh, a friend of ours, an older man in our church named Dr. Schuler, who uh, we knew had a canoe. And we asked if we could borrow his canoe for, his, for the day. And he said, of course, just come by and get it. And so we went over to his house. We got his canoe. We put it on top of the car. We went up to the mountains. And he put his car at one end of the river. I put my car at the other end of the river. And then we put the canoe into the water and set sail, which shows you what we knew about canoeing. <laughs> we weren't sailing. We were canoeing, right? And it was this beautiful day. And so we're just sort of floating in the river. We're paddling every now and again. And then we pull off to the side and we'd go swimming. And then we'd wave at all the other canoeers as they pass by. And then we pulled off on this little island and we had lunch together. And we just enjoyed floating down the river. And everything was... Was great until we came to the rapids. And once we got to the rapids, uh, class four, uh, we knew, we realized we had no idea what we were doing. And uh, before we knew it, uh, the river had swept us into the middle of the rapids, and we were going so fast, we rammed up on this rock, and we went with such speed that we went up, and we were sitting in the river on a rock at about a 70 degree angle, and all of our gear was floating down the river, and big boy Sean Slate was in the back of the canoe, the canoe down like and so the water sucking us back into the into the stream but then the back of the canoe got wedged between these two rocks and so we were just stuck there and water's just flowing 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 and so the force of the water then torqued the canoe twisted the canoe broke it in half sank to the bottom of the river that was our day. And so, uh, and so, Bill and I had no other option but to float uh, the next three hours of the river in our life jackets until we got to his car. And then Bill and I got in his car. He drove me up to my car. And then Bill drove home like nothing happened. We, it's like Fight Club. We won't talk about it, right? And then I got in my car, and I drove uh, to an outdoor store, hoping that they might have a canoe that looked like uh, Dr. Shuler's. And... Uh, and I was, it was in God's providence, they had a canoe just like his, uh, but in God's providence, I didn't have $2,000 to replace it. <laughs> and so uh, I was this young, you know, youth director at a small church in South Carolina. I was also a construction worker on the side uh, who was trying to make money to feed my wife and our baby William, who was coming into the world. And so I drove uh, to Dr. Schuler's house and I rang the doorbell. I said, Dr. Shuler, uh, I don't have your canoe. Uh, it's at the bottom of the Chattuga, and uh, I'll mow your yard, <laughs> I'll rake your leaves, uh, I'll wash your dishes, uh, or you can keep my firstborn son until, <laughs> until we have enough money to pay this thing off. And so there we are standing on his front porch, and Dr. Schuler had this decision to make because the canoe had to be replaced. It was gone, and either he was going to pay for it or I was going to pay for it. And uh, he looked at me in his kindness, and he said, Sean, it was a beautiful day. I hope you and Bill had a great time. I know what you make, and I know what I make, and I'll take care of it, right? And, and the point was like, somebody had to pay for this canoe, and it was either going to be me, or it was going to be him. And amazingly, Dr. Shuler, this man of grace, then went on to deliver our son for free. It was amazing. Uh, but here's the point, like, forgiveness, like, is always costly. It's a silly example about a canoe, but the point remains the same, whether somebody sins against you or offends you uh, emotionally or physically or whether they betray you or whether they abandon you, right? To forgive is always going to cost you something. And because to forgive is costly, I think all of us struggle to forgive people. uh, And when we struggle to forgive, we often wind up becoming just like the people who hurt us. Because when they hurt us, what do we do? We then want to hurt them. Like wounded people wound people, right? And we enter into this cycle of wounding and being wounded. And I like to call this the law of tackle football. Because if you've ever played tackle football in the backyard, you know that it always ends in a fight. And so, uh, you know, somebody hits you. Right? And so you got to hit them back. And then someone hits you a little bit harder. Right? And you're like, that was a little hard. I think we need to let them know about it. So we hit them a little bit harder. And then they didn't like it. So they hit you a little bit harder. And they step on your hand when they get up. And then uh, you think, I don't like that so much. And so you hit them a little bit harder. And then you like kind of get up with your hand on their face. And your knee in their back. I mean, I've I've heard people do this. And And then the fight just sort of devolves into this huge fight. And everybody's crying for their mom, and uh, that tends to be the way we relate to one another, right? You hurt me, I hurt you, and then we call our moms to get involved. (laughs) Father, forgive us, right? Uh, Father, forgive us. Would you say that with me? Father, forgive us. And I think what's really amazing about the cross is that God shows himself to be completely different from us. We're people who love to pay one another back, right? We love to get even, And that's how we think God is. I think deep down, most of us truly believe that God is really out to get us. He's just up there in heaven watching us, waiting for us to mess up so that he can punish us and so that he can strike us down. And this is exactly the way the Israelites thought about God in the wilderness. You probably remember that as as they had been freed from their slavery in the wilderness— God had brought them out as his children and then throughout the whole wilderness over and over again, what do they do? They grumble and they complain against God and they say, Moses, did God just bring us out into the wilderness to kill us, to destroy us, to hand us over to our enemies uh, because he hates us? How many of us uh, think about God in that way? That all he really wants to do is get us and to pay us back? He's just waiting for us to mess up so that he can punish us. And the only word that so many of us hear from God is the word of judgment. Please listen to me. The cross speaks a better word. The cross speaks the word of forgiveness. As Jesus is on the cross, he does not say get them. What he says is, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And what God wants his people to hear from the cross is forgiveness. And this is important. If you never hear the words of forgiveness. If the only words that you hear are words of judgment and fear. Then you are not listening to Jesus. And you are not looking at the cross. Because the word of the cross is father forgive them. And this is huge because I want you to think about the horrors that we actually did to Jesus. I mean, think about the creativity (laughs) that we employed in his suffering and in his humiliation. We literally took a hammer and nails and drove them through his hands into planks of wood. And then we stood him up and hung him there so we could watch him die. That, that's the creativity of our evil. That's what we did to people. And that's what we did to the God who created us. And crucifixion is a horrifying and shameful death. Fleming Rutledge in her book on the crucifixion says, Crucifixion was an exceptionally gruesome method of torturing a person to death carried out by the government, not in secret dungeons, but in public. And everyone watched it. And no one could do anything about it. Everyone in the first century knew what it looked like. They knew what it smelled like. They knew what it sounded like. They knew the horrific sight of a completely naked man in agony. They knew the smell inside of their bodily functions taking place in full view of all. They knew the sounds of their groans and of their labored breathing going on for hours. In some cases, days. And perhaps the worst part of it all is the fact that no one cared. All this took place in public and no one cared. You see, the point and the purpose of crucifixion was actually to torture and to shame a person to death. And the clear message that came from the cross is that the person on the cross is not fit to be a human being. They don't deserve to live. They do not belong to life. And in the same way that the it was just the same way in the lynchings at Jim Crow. It was a signal that the victim was not worthy of life and they weren't truly a human being. And that either the government or the mob could do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. And the victim and his friends could do nothing about it. You see, a crucified man was a humiliated man. And that's what we see going on in verse 35. The people stood by watching Right? They, they walk by and they watch and they can do nothing. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. And then, verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And what we see is that the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus was this sort of big joke employed by the religious and the political elite of the day. They're fully behind it, they did it in public. So that everybody, as they walk by and pass by, could join in. And what's amazing is that as the passers-by and as the rulers and as the leaders mock him, Jesus looks down at them. And then he looks up at his father and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who does that? Like, what God does that? The God of the Bible. I mean, if it was me, I would say, Father, pay them back for everything they're doing. Father, destroy them, smite them until they are smote. And what we see at the cross is this graphic portrayal of humanity at its worst. Uh, A theologian once said that the cross is the embodiment of the most sadistic and humane impulses that lie in our hearts. And in many ways, like what we did on the cross... Uh, what we did through crucifixion is what Paul says about humanity in Romans chapter 1 when he says that we are ruthless, heartless, faithless, inventors of evil, and those who give approval of those who practice it. And sadly, when we think about crucifixion, what it reveals is the horror of our human hearts. Now, some of you might object and say, well, that's not me. Uh, But are you so sure it's not you? If we were able to strip away all the accoutrements that you, like, base your life on, all the comforts that you indulge in, take away your money, take away your family, take away your job, everything that you boast in and pride yourself in, who would you be? And if you could just for one moment be honest with yourself, are you tempted to ever repay evil for evil? Are you not someone who has often been tempted to withhold love and good deeds from somebody, even someone that you love and care about? If you're honest, have you not ignored God and done the very things that you know he's asked you not to do? Has anger ever just sort of reached up in you and grabbed you in such a way that you have no control over it and you don't know where it came from? Has your heart ever been filled with lust? Have you ever dishonored your body? Have you ever dishonored another person's body? At times, have you found yourself filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness? Have you ever used the mouth that God gave you to gossip and to slander? Have you ever hated God for things in your life? Have you ever been haughty or boastful? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Have you been foolish, faithless, ruthless, and heartless? Have you ever known exactly what God wanted you to do and refused to do it? Have you ever turned away from the suffering of your neighbor? Have you ever refused to rejoice with your neighbor? This is just a list out of Romans chapter 1. And I would assume that all of us can see ourselves somewhere in it. And what Romans chapter 1 is pointing out, the very thing that, that Psalm 14, Psalm, uh, Romans chapter 3 says, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this is important because sin is not just a random bad thing here or there. And sin is not uh, just some breaking of some random law of the universe. Sin is fundamentally rebellion against our creator. Which means that sin is personal. And the person we sin against is the one and the only one who can judge us. And the one and the only one who can forgive us. In the same way, if I were to hurt one of you, if I were to sin against one of you, Ben Bannister doesn't have the right to forgive me. (laughs) Only you do. It doesn't matter what Ben thinks about me. It doesn't matter what Jennifer thinks about me. uh, Or if they forgive me. The person I've sinned against is the only one who can truly forgive me. And at the very beginning of the Bible, at the very dawn of creation, God said, look, when you sin, right, when you hurt me, When you turn away from me, when you disobey me, when you ignore me, you will die. The way uh, the Apostle Paul says this is in Romans chapter 6. He says that the wages of sin is death. None of us like the truth of this. But what the Bible tells us, and what I think we all know is true deep down, is that we all deserve death and judgment. Deep down, we all know that we are guilty. And this is why all of us are really afraid of death. And this is why all of us hate the very idea of judgment. <laughs> because we know it is due us. And what we know is we need to be forgiven. And here's the good news. The cross makes forgiveness possible. Right? So, Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us. Would you say that with me? Father, forgive us. But how? How? How does God do this? And this is important. I've already alluded to this. But I want, I, want you, I want us to see once again that God is not like us. And God is not what most of us assume him to be like. Most of us just assume that he just wants to pay us back. That he wants vengeance. Uh, and that he's just waiting to punish us so that he can throw out his anger upon us. In his beautiful little book, The The Cross of Christ, uh, John Stott writes, if you've never read The Cross of Christ, I would just encourage you to please do so. But in this book, John Stott writes about the paradox of sin and of salvation. And he says this, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man, Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone. And God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. And here's his point. Do you see that? That man wants to substitute himself for God... That in our rebellion against God, we attempt to be him. And what does our God do? He substitutes himself for man. Taking the very penalties that we deserve in order to restore us to himself. This is amazing. Because what the cross is telling us is that God would rather absorb the anger and the sin of humanity and would rather absorb the wrath and the judgment of God than pour it out on us. God is not who we think he is. We tend to think that he's a raging narcissist who just delights to punish and to kill. And the cross of Jesus tells us that he is a God who would rather die than watch us die. And what's amazing is that while he bore our sin and while he bore God's judgment, he's crying out, telling us what he is doing and why he's doing it. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I want you to think about that. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The reality is this we don't know how bad our sin is. We really don't. We don't know how deep. Our sin runs within us. We don't know how to control it. We don't know how to stop it. We don't know why it rages within us. All we know is what Avit saying is that something has me. Something has me and it's making me someone that I don't want to be. It's making us someone who God has not made us to be. And though we try to dismiss it and try to ignore it, uh, and we fail to look at it because we hate it, Jesus sees it for what it is. And he sees us for who we have been. And at the moment of our greatest rebellion, before we'd even ask for forgiveness, 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross. Bearing our sin and saying, Father, forgive them. And what I want you to see is that the core of the cross is forgiveness. It's like the phoenix feather in Harry Potter's wand that gives it its magic. Forgiveness is at the core of the cross, and it is the heart of God. And that's the point of this table. Because as we come to this table, what we realize is we look at this table and we see the body and the blood of Jesus and what we realize is that it should have been my body and it should have been my blood. And if it would have been my body and my blood on the altar, that would have been right. That would have been just. That would be what I deserve. And yet the good news of the gospel is that God does not treat us as we deserve. Instead, he treats us with love and he loves to forgive. And so what he says at this table and what he says at the gospel, what he says on the cross, is uh not your flesh, but mine. Right? Not your blood, but mine. And by doing this, our God is proving to us that he is not like us. He's not vindictive or cruel, but he is forgiving. And that's what we see in this meal. He's saying that just as surely as you hold the bread in your hand. And you taste uh, the wine in your mouth. Just as surely as those things are real. Your sins are forgiven. And so he's inviting you to come and taste and see. That our God is good. And he proves his goodness. As he forgives his children. And so father forgive us. All right, father forgive us. Would you say that with me one last time? Father, forgive us.